to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Welcome to Australia's Invisible History, the podcast where we make the invisible visible. I'm Katrina Rowe, a writer, broadcaster and podcaster based in the Riverina of New South Wales. Dr. Paul Rowe, the Outback historian, is a storyteller from the back of Burke, and together we are retelling the tales of some of Australia's invisible heroes, pioneers and visionaries. These are the forgotten folks who made a huge contribution to Australia. Many of them spoke up on behalf of Australia's most marginalised and invisible people. Most were leaders in their field, but all of them were following the invisible footsteps of their own leader, the carpenter and teacher from Nazareth. I hope you'll enjoy learning about some of the true characters who have shaped our Australian way of life. Today's story starts on the New South Wales-Victorian border on the Murray River at Kamaragunja Mission, where both Pastor Sir Doug and Lady Gladys Nichols grew up. Together, this couple had a remarkable partnership that saw them flourishing as sports people, activists, pastors and leaders. They were honoured with many formal titles throughout their lives, but it was their relationship with each other and their shared faith in God that was their real strength. When her husband died, Doug sort of stepped in partly a a compassionate act, I think, to sort of say, well, these kids need a father, I'll be the father. So they got married and then the relationship grew and they, they were a remarkably powerful couple together. She became sort of the financial head. She knew how to run a business and she ran open shops. She used these partly to support her family but also to help Indigenous young people who were moving into the city, into Fitzroy. And so they, as a partnership, they were quite remarkable. Pastor Sir Doug and Lady Gladys Nichols were people whose contribution to Australia was so great that it's hard to sum up their lives with any one achievement. Doug was a multi-talented athlete who was well known for his prowess in AFL, boxing and sprinting. He was also the first Aboriginal Australian to be knighted and the first to be governor of a state. As Indigenous leaders, they campaigned for the recognition and advancement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. But Doug was also a pastor, and through their church work, they gave practical care and support to those who needed it. Today, a beautiful statue of the pair can be seen in the Parliament Gardens in Melbourne. Dr. Paul Rowe, the Outback historian, joins me now to share their story. G'day, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah. I'm in Sydney, actually, today for the book launch, so that should be fun. That's exciting. I've been really enjoying reading your book, actually, Paul. I was just reading some of it last night and I really particularly have enjoyed the sections on sharing Indigenous songlines and learning to listen to Aboriginal people, which is really relevant for today's conversation. Exactly. And it's part of my journey too, living in Burke and then Dubbo, working with Aboriginal friends there. It's been an education for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I was really glad to learn more about this couple we're talking about today because, you know, they were kind of before my time. I grew up not really aware of their contribution, but Doug and Gladys both grew up at Kamaragunja Mission on the Murray River. What was life like for them there? Well, at the time, the prevailing opinion in Victoria wasn't wasn't helpful to the Aboriginal people at all. They sort of saw them as a uh, uneducatable, maybe uh, less than human sometimes, those kind of attitudes. And, uh, of course, just 
before he was born, uh, the white Australia policy had been built into our constitution. So uh, it wasn't easy. Kamagunga Mission was the one safe place I've heard. It was actually on the New South Wales side of the border for the Aboriginal people. And it was begun by Daniel Matthews and his brother out of Echuca. They sort of set up a safe zone there. Sometimes Daniel Matthews would actually rescue Aboriginal girls from the working men's camps and uh, where they were chained, and he'd bring them back and keep them safe there. So it, it was a, a sanctuary, I suppose is the way to, to describe it. Yeah. yeah, not unfortunately though safe enough to stop his sister Hilda from being removed and taken to Cootamundra Girls' home, which must have been a, a pretty distressing and traumatic thing for him to have gone through. He always remembers that as a very defining moment, seeing these girls being taken away, torn away from their families, and uh, it was a great tragedy. And I think that really stayed with him all his life, and I think that's why he had such a heart for Aboriginal young people all his life. Mm. And he was a very talented sportsman. I think that started with his time on the mission. He was really well known as an AFL player. Can you tell us about some of his sporting achievements? Yeah, well, the interesting thing with Doug is he was pretty short. He was only about five foot two, but he was quick and he was strong. And uh, he was a sprinter, so he won some of the like things like the stall gift, the Naya gift uh, when you ran in country towns. And uh, he was well known that way. He did some boxing in between times to sort of keep the, the money coming in. But his prime achievement was in AFL. He was a very, very good player and made up for his uh, short stature with determined play. So even there, he copped a lot of abuse from the crowd uh, and even within the some of the AFL ranks, uh, he was sort of ostracised. So it w- wasn't easy for him. Yeah, he played uh, six seasons with Fitzroy though, so I guess he would have been a yep. bit of a personality as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, he was probably the only Aboriginal, I think, at the time that was playing football. And so he stood out in the crowd. You know, he, he was the pioneer. And I think that's why they've named the Indigenous Round for him because he, he really did pioneer the way. So Doug married Gladys actually after her first husband died. It's interesting that they had such a strong partnership. What do we know about their relationship? It's very interesting. She grew up at Kamaraganga too and uh, they were both came under the educational wing of Thomas Shadrach James, an Indian teacher up there who did a remarkable job in training young people to stand up, the Aboriginal people to stand up for their rights and that, that came out in the, in the civil rights movement a little bit later. When her husband died, Doug sort of stepped in partly a compassionate act, I think, to sort of say, well, these kids need a father, I'll be the father. So they got married and then the relationship grew and they, they were a remarkably powerful couple together. She became sort of the financial head. She knew how to run a business and she ran open shops and she used these partly to support her family but also to help Indigenous young people who were moving into the city, into Fitzroy. And so they, as a partnership, they were, were quite remarkable. And they also had, a, I guess, a very practical ministry together in Fitzroy Can you tell us about some of the things that they were involved with in terms of their social ministry together? Yeah, I think the the, the first thing they did was they created a home, uh, the Aboriginal people coming away from their home territory and coming to the city. A lot of them just drifted the streets, but they provided a kind of a community uh, which was very, very fundamental to the Aboriginal people. And so they became a community there that accepted the Indigenous young people that came to them, or sometimes their older people too. Uh, They provided shelter, they provided food and tried to get them jobs 
and I think gave them some courage to stand up in a in a tough environment. And of course, he was a hero to them as a footballer. And Gladys was the mother figure and looked after them. So they did those sort of things. Eventually, they opened a hostel for girls. As I mentioned, she opened shops. And they were the spokespeople. They were the heroes for the Indigenous people in Melbourne. Mm, And they were pastoring an Aboriginal church as well, weren't they? Well, he was. That was a remarkable thing about Doug. When he became a Christian, I think in about 1932, seven somewhere there he stepped forward as pastor and whenever he was his titles were mentioned he always made sure that it wasn't just sir doug nichols but he was pastor sir doug nichols and he was very adamant about that because he he saw that as his prime responsibility he was a shepherd he was one that cared for the the people and uh, i think that was the stamp of his character he was very balanced even though he he was radical in the sense that he stood up for indigenous rights but he, he wouldn't allow bitterness into his heart. And I think that was his remarkable character, he and Gladys both. Mm. And uh, while they were strong, they were also humble and conciliatory. They were looking to make reconciliation. Yeah. I mean, they were known as activists though. So what are some yeah. of the ways that they were sort of politically active? Well, Doug was uh, present at the first day of mourning with Bill Ferguson and uh, William Cooper, the other leaders of the Indigenous movement. Uh, in 1938 in Sydney and uh, he made a very strong statement there about we Indigenous people have a right, we, we should be citizens and together those men said the Bible says we're all God's children, why aren't we being treated as such? So that was the platform he worked from. Uh, he became part of various Indigenous groups that the government was setting up to look after Aboriginal people. Sometimes he left them because he felt they weren't being just. So he he wasn't afraid to stand up and speak his mind. I think he opposed the white Australia policy, of course, and also he stood up on the when they were doing the tests, the atom bomb tests out in the in the desert there in the Aboriginal territory. He stood up against that. So lots of things. He was a voice for the Aboriginal people, and um, he was very consistent right from that point on. To the day he died. Yeah, I hear that um, in the lead up to the 1967 referendum, he would go to football games and campaign outside Absolutely, the football yeah. games. Yeah. yeah, he used his status as a sort of a football hero to get the issue out there and make it real in the in the great Australian sporting arena. Uh, that's where Australians sort of, I think, are touched, you know, the, the sporting arena when they see a hero and he's speaking out. Well, I think he, he used that as leverage for his cause. And so what do we know about his faith and how that grew and changed over the years? Well, he always carried his Bible. And um, I think at the opening of the statue, one of the Indigenous leaders read from Doug's little Bible. And um, he and Gladys had a Bible verse placed on their grave about their partnership and about what they were came from their identity as Christians following the Lord Jesus. So he, he was always, uh, he was a strong preacher. I've heard this, you can listen to it on YouTube, He's this message there he preaches as another shot of him singing hymns with his family. So it was part and parcel of who he was. He it was never sort of one thing on Sunday and the rest of the week something else. But his, I think his passion for the rights of his people was part of his Christian faith and vice versa. So I think... The two came together and I think his faith energised his determination to stand up for the rights of his people. Another thing that Sir Doug Nichols achieved, which I think we have to mention, is that he became Australia's first Aboriginal state governor when he became governor of South Australia in 1976. But his term was cut short. What happened? 
Well, it is a remarkable thing, Katrina, isn't it, that this young man who began life out there on the fringe at uh, Kamarugunga should find himself at the end of his life being honoured with knighthoods and all those kind of things and invited to be the Governor of South Australia, not without protest. Even Sir Mark Oliphant, a very famous scientist in Australia, opposed the choice on a racist ground. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, he went ahead, but he only lasted a few months because of ill health, sadly. So he, he only had a small chance. He met the Queen and did a few things like that. But he always kind of kept that balance. He was able to sort of accept those honours, but not for himself so much, I think, but he, I think he accepted them for his people. And he saw himself as elevating the Indigenous people and he saw them rising with him. Uh, it was never just a, an ego thing for him. And I think that's the stamp of his character. So it was sad that he, he got sick and couldn't really go forward in that role and make a, a larger stamp. But nevertheless, it's a very important one. So how should we remember this amazing couple of Doug and Gladys Nichols? Well, I think, you know, Katrina, I think the sculptor got it right, the man who made the statue of them, because when you look at it, you can Google it up. It's a very interesting statue because he's got a smile, he's got a foot forward, he's got a hand reaching out, and that was him. He wants reconciliation. He wants the whole of Australia to go forward. We're all Australians. And then Gladys is sort of beside him, holding his arm, but looking at him. And it, there's a great affection there. And I think there's a beautiful sort of picture of a, a married couple who'd given themselves in service, who'd worked together. And uh, I think the sculptor got it right. You know, there's a, a generous spirit, a forgiving spirit reaching out. And the two of them sort of standing there, I think, are a great symbol for even our generation to say reconciliation, working forward together. We need to share our stories, accept our stories and write a new story together. And I think that was their, their message. And you can see that sculpture in the Parliament Gardens in Melbourne if anyone wants to go and see it. Thank you so much, Paul. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a great story, isn't it? I, I have great admiration for both of them. That is the Outback Historian, Dr Paul Rowe. We've been talking about Sir Doug and Lady Gladys Nichols. You can find out more about Paul online at theoutbackhistorian.com.au and his new book is called Tell Me Another, A Storyteller Search for Australia's Lost Faith. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Australia's Invisible History, the podcast where we make the invisible visible. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the powerful partnership of Pastor Sir Doug and Lady Gladys Nichols. You can find out more about both of them in our notes section. In our next episode, we'll meet the founder of the telephone counselling service Lifeline, Reverend Dr Sir Alan Walker. He's quite a character. He's a feisty man. I met him a couple of times back in the 1990s and he was an older man, but he still had a bit of fire in him. And uh, I, I sensed I was in the presence of somebody who was, who'd really made a mark in Australia. He ran Wesley Mission for 20 years and was quite a media personality in his day. He spoke out against war, apartheid and the white Australia policy. His ethics were so highly regarded that the Governor-General, Bill Hayden, called him the conscience of the nation. You'll hear his story in episode 23 of Australia's Invisible History. If you've enjoyed our yarns, let your friends know about us, or if you're a teacher, share them with your students and colleagues. You can sign up for the latest news at hope1032.com.au or follow Dr. Paul Rowe at theoutbackhistorian.com.au. I'm Katrina Rowe. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, if you've enjoyed this episode of Australia's Invisible Histories, please do subscribe and share among your friends so we can keep telling the stories. Plus, you can find more details and useful links in the show notes. Hope 1032. Thanks for listening.